We are in chapter 12. We're going to be in chapter 12 again next week. Then we're going on to 13, 14, 15. We're going to start rapid firing going through some of these chapters. But we are in John chapter 12. And as there are 21 chapters in this book, and it seems like we're just a little over halfway, naturally you might think we should be about halfway through the story. But the reality is that chapter 12 is actually near the very end of Jesus' ministry. In fact, it uh, about eight days before Jesus went to the cross. And, you know, most of the rest of the book of John, it, it covers the Passover celebration. It, it covers Jesus' teachings and then his week of tribulation and leading up to that death and initially his resurrection which I can't wait to get to. And we have seen that, that uh, where, where we've been in much of the previous chapter had been Jesus is struggling with the belief of people and his struggles also with the Jewish leaders. And today what we're going to see, we're going to see a shift in focus in this chapter. And what, what we're going to see is there's all of a sudden a, a, a trust and dedication by one individual in particular, Mary. Now, um, we spoke about her last week, and last week she was clearly upset at the death of her brother Lazarus, and Jesus wasn't there to, to see him healed before he died, and, and you know, she, she was clearly hurt, we read about, and Martha went out to not kind of confront Jesus, but at the same time said, had you been here, he would not have died, and Mary stayed in the house. Well, eventually Mary comes out, and she's weeping, and Jesus takes that opportunity to weep with her. And so what we're going to see, we're going to see a dramatic change from that faith that thought, had he only been here, my brother would be alive. And we know that Jesus resurrected Lazarus, and then that was to spur belief in their hearts furthermore. And now we're going to see that even go further in Mary's life. And um, without spoiling the rest of this message, I want to ask you a question. What are you willing to give Jesus. What are you willing to give him? And not because God might ask something of you, but what are you willing to give out of your own volition? See, when we come to church, well, I'm going to tell you, in setting this up, many of us come to church and, and there are Christians that they separate their church life from their home life. There's, there's a line that their life doesn't cross. It's like, okay, I have to act a certain way when I come to church. Like, I've heard it before, people coming into church service being like, I'm hoping lightning doesn't strike. I, I, I've heard that before. And, and the, the thought is that we need to be something different in the church than we are at home. And when we choose to do that, it is like saying, God, I don't want you in my home. I don't want you in my home. That's really what it's about. Or I need to present myself a certain way when I'm at church, which is also not what God wants. And so if, if we have that attitude, if we take that approach to church life and home life, then there is no dedication for what we are willing to truly give up for God. In fact, I would argue that if that is your attitude when you come to church, you're probably not giving up anything really except some time to be here on Sundays. Amen? 
And we should be dedicated through commitment on a daily basis to following Him and to continually bring Him honor and glory. Who's with me? Today, Mary is going to do something what I call audacious. And it leaves at least one disciple completely stunned. So we're going to read it. This story appears in all four Gospels, but it appears here in John a little bit differently it does in the other three. So I'm going to read it. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 7 is what we're going to read. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. Nard sounds really good, doesn't it? Ladies, go home and put on, on some nard later. Um, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money should have been given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. And God, I pray that we can take the example of this story and we can apply it to our life so that we might bring you honor and glory and bring that to your son, Jesus Christ, as Mary did. Lord, we praise you for this servant of God. Be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. So to set up this scene, what was taking place in this house was they were having a celebration, right? They were having a celebration. Not only was their brother raised from the dead, but Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one whom God has sent, God's son, is in their home. Pretty cool, right? I mean, uh, imagine having that opportunity. And so... Think about just last week and everything that had taken place before Lazarus was raised from the dead. Because Jesus had been working on reasoning with Martha, as we talked about last week. Jesus also wept with Mary as she was struggling to believe and understand. And then Jesus also got to celebrate with Lazarus as he raised him from the dead. And now this family, this, this group of people, they were all so impacted by that moment that they insisted on having Jesus in their home, and Jesus stayed with them, and we know he was there at least six days with them, with that group, celebrating. Everything was so life-changing that just happened to them that they wanted him to be a part of their lives, 
But yet we still see things that we talked about last week, the typical role of Martha. If you remember, we hearkened back to a story about Mary and Martha where they had Jesus in their home at another time, and, and Martha is busy doing all the work around the house as Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, clearly identifying she's a servant. Well, we see that come to life again this story as Martha, she's playing her typical role where she is this servant and Mary is also getting ready to react to Jesus with her whole heart. And I want us to acknowledge that both of these are significant expressions in praising and honoring Jesus. But I want to take note of their making provisions for Jesus in their lives. Who knows it is no small thing to invite someone into your home. It is no small thing to invite someone into your home, and then if they're there at least six days, we know how that changes things, right? When you have someone around for that period of time. And when someone of note is coming to your home, what do you tend to do? Say that louder for the whole crowd clean so get get out (laughs) well i mean that's that's one approach um so i am a type a personality right and so i'm sorry guys that's just who i am and so if i look around the house and if i come home to any kind of disaster whatsoever i just immediately cringe Like something inside me dies a little bit when I walk into the boy's room and I see a disaster in front of me. And there's nothing I want to do more than just see it fixed immediately. And so there are times where I will tell the kids to clean and sometimes the response is, Gabe, what do you always say when I ask you guys to clean? They're not saying it. Who's coming over? I ask you to clean, and you ask, who is coming over? And now, now granted, that that question is not without merit, because every time someone does come over, we are asking them to clean up and tidy the house. But there are plenty of times, guys, where I ask them to clean, and no one is coming over. Dad just wants everything neat and orderly. But when someone does come over, it is not only that we make sure we clean and prepare for them to arrive, but if they're eating with us, we usually make sure we prepare food. And when we prepare food, we prepare way too much, right? Because we want to try and make our guests feel like they are part of the home. You know, naturally, we want to leave people with a good impression and we want to make them feel welcome. And when you realize, in relating to this story, when you realize Jesus' impact in your life and you want him to be a part of it, you need to welcome Jesus into your home. And so we need to make room for him. And when we make room for him and when we want Jesus to be a part of our lives, having, inviting Jesus in isn't meant to be just this short-term stay, right? And I, I know to, to decide to follow him is not a temporary solution. It's not a temporary situation to your problems. It is an eternal decision that impacts your life for eternity. 
Just like if you had to take a permanent guest in your home, your life changes. You do things differently and you consider the impact of your, on your way of living based on the presence of who is there. When Wendy and I were married, it was within our first two years of marriage, you know, we were, we were going to college and trying to pay for that. And uh, we, we were doing our best to get through school without any student loan debt. And so we also worked outside the home and we had an apartment and it seemed expensive at the time. I wouldn't want to rent an apartment now because that was 22, 23 years ago. And um, what we did was we took on a roommate. Now, I really don't recommend that for especially a newly married couple that is just trying to live life together and learn about each other. But as we took on this roommate, what happened was behaviors and things that we did changed, right? Just because of that presence of that person. So for instance, if we were watching something on TV and that person said, I don't really like that. It's like, gosh, okay then. Better watch something they want to watch. And, you know, behaviors changed. And, and what, obviously, when that person would go to their room, then there felt to be a little bit more freedom in the things that we could do. But we still understood that that roommate was just on the other side of the wall, right? And as you and I come to know who Jesus is, the way he calls us to live, there are things that should change about our behaviors once he's in the home. There, there are things that naturally change. And I, I want to preface this, and I really want to dive in here, because many of us, we just talked about how you might clean up your home in order for someone to come in and visit and many of us think that I need to have my life presented in a certain way or have things in order in order to honor Jesus and be able to follow Jesus. And I, I want to say this doesn't mean that when the roommate goes to bed that anything goes, right? But inviting Jesus in, it is a permanent decision that is not meant only for a lifetime, but it's meant for day by day, moment by moment. Things change when you choose Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities. Everyone say that, realities. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your, your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So when you choose Jesus Christ, what you're doing and what this scripture says right here, especially in verse 1, is that Christ now, he sits at, at the right hand of God. And then us in this new life, we are dead to this life, and we are brought to new life in Jesus Christ. So that changes who we become upon deciding to follow him. And what happens is that I've learned that God, you know, obviously God through the power of his Holy Spirit, he impacts you immediately when you choose him. But we still have a lot of things to clean up, 
right? It isn't like just flipping a switch and everything changes. But when you invite Christ in, when you set your sights and your mind on him, your life begins to change. See, you can play church where we can try and turn on and off that I'm going to impress God today, but I'm going home, so I'm going to shut that switch off. You can do that, but I want you to catch what God's impressed by. Not how your life appears in public view, but what you do in private. What you do in private. That is where God gets the honor. That's where he gets the glory. I've always equated this to imagine that you do bring Jesus into your home. Imagine, imagine your body is, is your home. And you invite Jesus in, and Jesus, he is the kind of, of God, he is the kind of Savior that he's like, you know, I don't want to know what's in the rest of the house. I'm just going to sit here in the living room. We'll call it good. Jesus, he's like a home inspector, right? He wants to see every nook and cranny of that home. That closet that you always stuff crap into every time someone is coming over to visit, he wants to see in the closet, right? He wants to go downstairs and he wants to see the utility room. He wants to see every aspect of that house. He wants to fill the house with his presence, church. Because here's the thing, when you choose Jesus, if you claim Jesus Lord, we use that word and we use it so frequently and many of us in this culture, we don't understand what it means. When you use that word Lord, Jesus is Lord over your life. It is an emphasis on his position in your life. Meaning he reigns not just over you. He reigns over all that you possess. Similar to when I got married, I, I learned that what is mine also needs to be hers, and what is hers needs to be mine. Now, there are things that are more appropriate for her than me, but we learned that nothing is off limits for one another. We went into that relationship together. And so when you choose Jesus Christ, now, whether you like it or not, everything that you are is exposed to him. He knows all, he sees all, and you and I, we can't hide things from him. So understand at the onset that you chose Jesus because he loves you, because you acknowledge that you are creation of God, and he sent his son to die for you, right? So we need to start there. Because think about it. The day before this celebration when Martha came out, her brother is dead, and Martha is saying, had you been here, Jesus could have put her in check. He didn't. He could have put her in check, but instead, he loved on her, and he began to reason with her and cause her to understand who he is and why she needed to continue to believe. Jesus could have scolded Mary when she came out there being emotional over her brother's death and said, do you believe enough in me that I will heal him? But instead, Jesus chose to weep with her. Jesus sees all, has seen all, and already knows what you and I think. 
So let's not pretend we can hide things from a living God. And also, let's not pretend that he can't reason with you. He can't weep with you. He can't love you. And don't act like you need everything in order so that Jesus can come in. See, when you let Jesus into your life, as you get to know him and as you're drawn unto him, he shows you how you ought to live. He doesn't adjust to us. We adjust to him. And guys, that adjustment period, it's not, as I said, it's not instantaneous. We're reset. We recalibrate. What happens is as you draw closer to the Lord, God starts working those abrasive edges, those rough points in our life. And then we choose to become like Christ as we begin to understand who he is and how he works in our lives and how he speaks to us on a daily basis. Romans 13, 14, it puts this a little bit differently and I wanted to read it for you. It says, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Paul says this in a way that he almost, he, he's implying that we must clothe ourselves like we're adorning Christ each and every day as we're choosing to walk through this life. In another place, Paul says, put on the mind of Christ. Right? So we are to put this on like we're adorning it because if we do not, what we are going to do is we're going to tend to gravitate toward our human natural instinct which we learn through Scripture, is inherently evil. Only God is good. And so the steps that we're seeing, and especially in this story here today, is we see Martha and we see Mary. They are making genuine steps closer to Christ and understanding who He is and how He is truly Lord of their life. And as they're understanding who Jesus is and they're honoring Him, Martha is honoring Him with her service, Mary is now about to honor him with her perfume. You know, this wasn't just any, any perfume. Guys, it was nard, right? Okay? And, and this was the best that she had. And so it's laid out in this story that Mary, the, the way we read it is she just instantaneous, like th this was a spontaneous moment, almost without thinking, she grabs this bottle of perfume and she heads towards Jesus. And she isn't just treating it like this perfume, it needs to go a long way, it's expensive. So she doesn't just pour a little bit out. In fact, the other Gospels describe it as she doesn't pour it just on his feet, but she pours it all over his head. She pours this lavishly upon Jesus Christ as, as she is just in complete adoration for who he is. And as Jesus is allowing her to do this, there is one disciple in particular, and we can read in the other Gospels, there was other people who were appalled and dismayed at what this woman is doing because they know the value of what she's doing. Not only is Judas upset with what he feels is this wasted act by Mary, but that Jesus would allow it. He's looking at Jesus going, what are you doing here? 
And what Judas points out is he points out this is no ordinary bottle of perfume. At the time, the, the bottle, it states, was worth a year's wage. And so you might hear that and you might think that perhaps Mary, she had great wealth, so naturally she could just afford to do this, but that is not the case. Scholars believe it was worth about 300 denarii, which would have been representative of her life savings. One denarii was considered one day's wage so they say to put this into modern terms, it would have been equivalent to about $54,500. So naturally, Judas here, he's, he's looking at the value of this perfume. But Mary was looking at the value of Jesus in her life. Mary, in that moment, she comprehended everything she had and, and what she could possibly offer Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the one she knew that he was sent to die for her. And so she looked around and she said, I'm going to give him my best. And church, my encouragement for you is to give Jesus your best. And I am not asking you to go home and find the most expensive thing that you can pour all over the carpet in this room because Lord knows it would absolutely stink all those smells mixed together. But what, what I acknowledge is that it begins, this is where it begins, at our comprehension of the importance of Jesus Christ in our life. To grab a hold of how important Jesus is. Where this perfume in our story, it might be central to their responses, particularly Judas and Mary. It was more about the position of their hearts toward Christ. It is already stated in verse 6, you know, Judas had already been stealing money. He was looking for personal gain. No doubt he was already setting up to betray Jesus. And Mary, looking at Jesus, even she knew even if she offered her best to him, it wouldn't be enough. So you have, you have this huge dichotomy here. One guy is now a part of this tribe for his own special interest. And Mary is a part of this group with no personal interest other than honoring the king. Not only does she take the single greatest item of value she has and give it to Jesus, but she takes off her head cloth. She pulls her hair, what I imagine, out of a, out of a bun. And she takes her hair and she starts wiping his feet with her hair. Church, I'm not sure if you're aware. There was nothing dirtier in those days than feet. And so she, she takes off her hair, and I, I, I want to speak to the cultural significance of this because, guys, at, at this time, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't good. It, it, in fact, it was absolutely appalling that a woman would uncover her head in public. And so they're seeing this, and she is acting. What, what she is doing, she does not care about what this gesture might mean to other people. She is acting with extravagant abandon over her adoration of who Jesus Christ is. And meanwhile, all Judas is doing is he's displaying his judgment toward others, while inwardly he's only being about himself. 
So church, I'm going to say it again. Display Jesus' importance in your life by offering him your best. When I talk about this relationship with him and everything that is mine, if it belongs to him truly, what I am going to do in turn is use everything I have to honor him. Whatever God asks of me, I need to be open to it. I want to be honest. If God said, hey, I want you to go give your vehicle to someone, I better be ready to do it. Because that is my form of honoring him. And some of you guys are hearing me out, and you're hearing some of these things, and you're saying, Pastor, that's crazy. You, you don't understand the kind of vehicle that I drive, and I can barely afford it. How am I just going to go give it to someone else? And what I want to say is that in order to do that, we must acknowledge that when it comes to serving Christ, there is nothing that is off limits. We already stated that. There is nothing that is off limits. But if we're going to let him into our home, then we also acknowledge that we make everything available completely to him. And so I got a serious question for you to ask yourself. Are we living our lives like the value is in heaven or all the value is here on earth? Because let's apply Colossians 3.1. Let's go back to it. I'm going to go back to it. I, I wasn't going to, but I want to read it. Colossians 3.1 set. So have you been raised to new life with Christ? Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And so if we're applying 3.1 and we are setting our sights on the realities of heaven, then we are going to invest in eternal things. Or there are going to be people like Judas who misrepresent what Jesus can do in their life and seek earthly reward and pleasure not understanding the work of God. Because think about where Judas went. Judas went, think about what you could have done with all that money. You just wasted all that. Instead, you could have gone out and you could have given to the poor. You could have, you could have improved other people's lives. But here's the thing that Judas had misinterpreted about who Jesus was. He misinterpreted that Jesus had always helped the poor. That was his focus. And Jesus' response was, you'll always have them. You won't always have me. And there will always be a need. And so what happens is that when we choose to sit at the feet of Christ and we choose, choose to give everything over to him, not only are we going to be able to better reach people who are in need, hear me out, we're going to draw closer to God and he's going to be able to use us in greater capacity because we have laid everything before him and said it's yours. Think about it this way. The life savings of perfume that you had, it doesn't matter anymore. God can restore that. God can restore that. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So if we're going to apply all this together, what I want us to embrace is that if God asks you to give up something for him, he is more than able to supply that again. And when you choose to be obedient to him, what he is going to do, he is going to reward you to greater Take, for instance, the book of Job, if you've ever read Job. Read the first chapter and everything that gets removed from Job's life. This was a man who, by all accounts, we read, was the most noble, honorable man to God on the face of the earth. And almost everything got taken away from him in one day. Then what we read is, that the, by the end after he proves his devotion and dedication to God, that he will not curse the name of God, everything is restored, and it's restored double what he lost. Now here's the thing that I learned. Nothing can replace children, which is what Job lost. He lost some children. But, if our God is a God who is about honoring him with our lives for the sake of eternity, then we need not to cling to the things of this world, but cling to the realities of heaven. Amen. Okay? And I want you to check this out. The God of provision doesn't want your best because he needs it. He wants your best because he wants all of your devotion. God is in need of nothing. But he wants all of you. And so if he's going to have all of you, then those things that you have been storing up, guess what? They don't matter anymore. The moments that we have with Jesus Christ, church, they are too important to let us get distracted by things that don't matter. Amen? Because Mary is in this moment with Jesus. Judas is also a part of the moment, but I would argue he's not in the moment. And there are many times up to this point in his ministry that he had shared his purpose and predicted his death. In fact, in the other three Gospels, before this event, it's mentioned two other times. In the book of John, this is the first time it's mentioned. But I want you to hear what he says in like Mark 8, chapter, or, or chapter 8, verse 31. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. In Matthew 17, through 23, he mentioned that he was going to suffer and die right after the transfiguration. The third time being right before the Passover, also mentioned in Luke chapter 18 as it is here in John chapter 12. And so the challenge for Jesus up to this point was they were not comprehending what he was saying or how soon this was to come. They didn't recognize the moment they were in. Now Mary is the vessel for that moment, being used by God to prepare Jesus for his burial. Judas missed it. Judas missed the moment. Church, 
Don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment that you're in. You know, we have dropped this phrase a lot about being intentional. And I'm encouraging you, when, when I say be intentional, you know, we can give you a hundred different things you need to be doing. But if you really want me to simplify it, if you really want me to break it down on what you need to be doing, you might hear, you might hear us say, hey, take someone out to dinner, get to know them, be a part of the community. We might say, hey, we also want you to be a disciple. We, we want you to enter some form of discipleship. Be here for Sunday mornings, for Sunday school. We want you to come on Wednesday nights. You know, we can talk about all these programs, all these different things. But here's what it really boils down to. If I could ask you to do anything in order to draw close to who Christ is, read his word and seek him daily through prayer. That's it. And if we do those things, what I guarantee is when you start to discover who Christ is, you're going to want more of him. And and discovering who Jesus is, it leaves you where you continue to seek him more. You're never going to get turned off by Jesus. I promise you, you're never going to get turned off by him. But as you discover him more, you're going to see he's all that matters. See, to some people hearing this message today, they might say, you've said some pretty absurd things, like giving away your vehicle and stuff like that. And you might hear that, but I'm telling you that once you discover what God can do in your life through faith in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that's off limits because he gets all the glory in my life, and you know what? He also pours out blessing upon me as I give him the glory. It was pretty audacious for Mary to pour out her life savings. The audacity of taking off that head head cloth and using her hair to wipe his feet. But church, our moment like that is fleeting. This life is short. And they had no idea at this time that it was just a little over a week later that Jesus would be suffering and dying on a cross. They had no clue. No one around her knew how little time they had left with him. I can only imagine if they had better understanding of how soon Jesus was going to die, they might have reacted differently. But can you grasp how often we don't take advantage of these moments and the times that we have? And sit in church and think, man, when is he going to shut up? I am ready for dinner. (laughs) You know, we can think those things. But guess what? You're going to be hungry again. These things are going to occur over and over and over again. But the moments that you have with Jesus, they're fleeting. And are you going to take this relationship with you ha- that you have with him seriously? Or are you going to keep playing with it as you might do where you're like, okay, I can come to church, I can serve God, I can leave here and I can go do other things. I'm telling you guys. We have to get serious about our lives in Christ. Eternity is at stake, not just for us, but for those around us. And Christ is worthy of everything that we have. 
And I'm going to tell you what another issue is. Some of us are looking for this loud, boisterous moment where God hits you over the head with some truth, and you're like, thank you, God, that's just what I needed. Let's pick up and move on. But I'm going to tell you, in the book of Kings, 1 Kings, excuse me, chapter 19, the prophet Elijah, he was hiding for his life. And at that time, Queen Jezebel, she was out killing the prophets, and she wanted to kill Elijah for good reason. There there was ways that Elijah showed his God was more powerful than anything she had. And like Elijah, what happens is that when God says, when when he goes into hiding and God says, hey, coast is clear, I'm going to show through a sign, we go out and we're like, okay, God's going to make this obvious. He's going to make this so obvious to me. And you know what? God didn't make it that obvious to Elijah. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elisha stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Some of you are looking for this big, thunderous moment. But I'm telling you, if you listen to the voice of God, it can be a gentle whisper calling you out, are you going to respond in faith? I argue that God has given you you everything that you need. He has revealed to you His Word. He has revealed who you are in Him. He has revealed what we need to do. And what He is doing now is God is lovingly, He is waiting for your response. And are you going to respond to God? Will we give him all our devotion? Or, we cont- or will we continue to do just whatever our heart desires? Because church, I am telling you, our time is short. And the things that God is asking us to do, we are losing opportunity moment by moment if we don't. So what I want you to do right now is I want every head to bow, eyes to close. And I want you to take a moment between you and God. Only you and God know this answer. I don't. But I stated earlier, if you want to prove you're a servant of the living God, prove it in your private life, not in public view. That's left for you to examine and the Holy Spirit to speak to you on. And what I encourage you right now is I encourage you to just be open to God. Because I'm going to tell you, even as long as I've been serving the Lord and it has been the better part of 35 years, as long as I've been serving the Lord every day, 
he points out how I can serve him more. And so what I want to do is I want us to just surrender over to his Holy Spirit right now that he might speak to us. That we might be able to respond appropriately by saying, God, I, I give you all and I've been holding back this thing. Because when we make that step and then when we prove it by our action, oh, you're going to know the Lord to such a much greater depth than you already do. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we sit here and seek you right now, Lord, I ask that each and every person that is in this room voice of Aaron, it's not anything that I said, Lord, but that they are seeking you and listening to you and what you have to say to them. And that God, when you do speak, Lord, we will be obedient. God, we have had a chance to see you for who you are. And Lord, we should not take our relationship with you lightly. So Lord, I pray in my own life, God, and in the lives here, that God, we truly understand what it means to be wholly devoted to you. Holy Spirit, reveal that now. Speak into the lives of your people that we might become more like you. And God, I pray that our response isn't just one out of emotion, but Lord, it is one out of action because we desire to act live and breathe as your children, God. So Lord, I ask today that have I, have I encouraged everyone here to give their best? Lord, that we start by giving you all our baggage to Lord, we, we read this last week in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all our cares on you because you care for us. God, we thank you. Right now what I want you to do, if that's you, if you say, Pastor, I've got to surrender to him. I want to honor him. I need to be wholly devoted to him.